I'm going to pause because the fire alarm thing just started beeping. And I'm, I feel like it's going to kick in any second. Is this a quote from the movie? No, it's just, no. It's crazy. I'm worried that it's going to cut me off, but it hasn't come in yet. So maybe I just do it. It'd be kind of funny if it cut in while I was, okay, it's a quick line. I'm just going to do you it. You have no idea how much I want it to cut you off. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> fucking hell. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So, once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. More like a rip. How about that? No? Thank you. <clears throat> Interesting. What do you mean by that? I don't, Elaborate on that, it'll, please. It'll become clear. You're not getting, what, you're not getting away with thinking? this one. <laughs> Thank but you so what, much for listening what, what, to but what was he Try Love like, what was he Podcast. Cooking? It's a like, literal roundtable podcast. Hi, Sky. Hi, Sky. Hi, Sky. Everybody's hi, saying Sky. hi, Sky. She says hi back. Hi, Sky. Um, Abe and Harper also say hi on the way in. Uh, it's a literal roundtable podcast. Now a whole uh, menagerie podcast with animals and everything um, where we talk about movies we saw and people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. Find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema. My name is Jason Daphnis. Uh, I haven't been with a woman in a long time, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. My name is Trouble, and you can find me in Blue Sky at Cody Narvison. Thinking he is alone, the dark and lonely places, finding a big gun. I'm Harry. You can find me on Twitter at Punishtake. I'm Aaron, and the minute it hits 55 degrees, I'm dressing like every character in this film, folks. I'm, I'm really going to start dressing this year. Hawaiian shirts, just the big... Like spread collar, like white shirts. Uh-huh, you know uh-huh. what I mean? Yeah, like your Cubano yeah, yeah. type. Yeah. Or, no, Except this... that one scene when he's exactly. inexplicably wearing that big sweater, which looked incredibly and, and then, and then too hot. I mean, I would rock him. that sweater. And then the next cut is him being completely shirtless, drinking beers with the cop. Is just a fantastic comedic piece. It's it's a it's a rough it's a rough thing that like the minute uh, fucking spoil the minute he's killed at the end of the movie and he's laid out on the table. My first thought was like, those are tight pants, dude. <laughs> those pants are fucking sick. It's like this fucking like window pane. Yeah. Like, I think that's how he, how he would want people to react to his Probably. death. Look at like, them. Yeah, look at them fly-ass pants. Uh, the movie that we're about to discuss today, which miraculously we have not mentioned the name of, despite literally spoiling the end of, um, plays at, or played at the Trilon, sorry, as part of the 15th annual Neo-Noir Festival. Uh, I'm seeing here that it played on DCP. Um, I, I guess it's over now. You can check out the remaining schedule at trilon.org and for the rest of the year's programming, including a whole series about Charlotte Rampling coming up later this year. Uh, check it out at trilon.org or follow them on Twitter at Trilon Cinema and uh, Instagram as well. Anyway, uh, Aaron needs to actually introduce the movie that we're going to talk about with quick. Yes, indeed, folks. The Aaron Grossman summary. Yes, uh, we're talking about Miami Blues, 1990 film directed by George Armitage. Uh, it is based on the novel, the same name, kind of detective noir novel by Charles Williford. 
Uh, it is starring Alec Baldwin, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Fred Ward. Um, Frederick J. Frenger Jr., otherwise known as Jr., uh, is kind of a you know sociopathic uh, criminal who is released from prison and uh, arrives in Miami uh, to kind of start up a new life. Um, it isn't long uh, before he resorts to his old ways, however, and a police officer uh, named Hokey Mosley, um, Hoke Mosley, sorry, uh, tries to track Junior down after he accidentally uh, kills a Harry Krishna. Uh, Junior attempts to evade the police while living a new life with his uh, new girlfriend, Susie Wagoner, um, a prostitute turned, how, prostitute turned housewife who is uh, blissfully unaware of his previous life and current activities. Uh, that's what I got. At least at first. Short and yeah, sweet. yeah. I, I yeah. find it interesting. She becomes aware later in the movie. Uh, fiendishly. Um, I find it interesting that you led in with the idea that, and I never really got this directly from the movie that uh, Junior is there to start a new life. I get the feeling that he's just like jumping ship from well, he's one bad sitch to another. Yeah, like he's yes. just in Miami to do the same old shit he was doing wherever else he was in the world. Um, and like that continuation of it. I, I, I guess my entry point to this movie being that I had not heard of it and that I have not read the book upon which is based. There's a lot to get into in this movie, um, but just an interesting way to characterize it's, that. That's I not guess a bad point. My, yeah. That's a good, like, like the, the, the thing that's not in this movie that I always kind of hate. Yeah. I mean, it's like a good, it's often done well, you know what I mean? But the thing that like makes me kind of uncomfortable in these sorts of films is like the trying to get out, but I can't get out. You know, like the the allure of America pulls me right. back in. We're like, lame, you yeah. know, Junior's just like, yeah, no, I'm just, dude, I'm, the, I'm going back to Robin. The total <laughs> lack of general preamble in this movie was maybe my favorite part of the entire movie. Right, that it's just like, oh, we're off, like we're going, like we're not we going to explain who this character is. Yes, we like everything we need to know about him is in his eyes and his smile, right, and literally in the way the camera is tracking him. That's like you've got all the information you need for the rest of this movie. Let's go. Like, I love yeah. that about it. And it does so much with that core, like, pretense. Again, he arrives, he breaks a guy's finger, he leaves. We don't realize that that is an inciting incident until the cops have already started, like, investigating it. If I remember correctly, there's no scene introducing that, like, oh, the Hare Krishna died as a result of having his finger broken. It's actually just, like, we see a scene where the cops are surveying the dead body with incredible callous crassness uh, and laughing over his dead body. And then we find out, oh, that's the reason that the cops are actually on to onto him. Like that's that's the inciting incident here. That's why right. the whole junior. Um, the whole story feels like the sort of thing that just emerged organically, right? It's sort of like, wait, this is the plot of the movie. Like you kind, right. kind of waiting for the actual plot to start, and then it's like, no, it is actually all about this like weird semi random yeah. crime spree. Yeah, it was. Um, I think it was a New York Times review from 1990 that was mentioning like. It takes you a little while to realize that Hoke, the actual detective, should be the main character of this story in any other movie. But like, he's not. He's distinctly like a, a side character. Um, I, as part of like an entry point to this movie, uh, being you know the cover and sort of the the tagline, real badge, real gun, fake cop, or whatever. I had no idea how to like ingest this movie, so I was just going back to. Um, like noir tropes. I was going back to, oh, there's a femme fatale. There's the, you know, sort of a gray, morally gray anti-hero type. And it totally upends that maybe a third into the movie. By by that point, you like you're either completely on its wavelength about it being something completely different or you're just like disliking it. It seems like it was probably split people about evenly in that respect. Um, well regarded now, uh, like Aaron was saying, like consider, I think it's got like something for, among modern uh, reviews at like an 85% of Rotten Tomatoes or something, but just to imagine somebody trying to actually sell this movie 
I, I do not envy the marketing team that was behind the, the promotion of this movie because it's it, sure it's noir, but it's actually following the sociopath and it's positioning him at the center of the story. And there's not a whole lot of play into those tropes, at least not without, you know, a, a gigantic wink. Um, and I guess I, I, I'm just sort of going about my experience with it because I did expect something straight more, far more straight, so to speak, than I actually got. But I'm really pleased for how uh, strange the left left turn it took, you know. Yeah, I I think that's a really good point, and I I guess I'd open with my favorite parts of the movie, which are kind of surprisingly formal. I think, um, in that like I think this movie not only is exactly what you describe, but it actually has like the strength of its convictions to commit to that throughout the movie, including in terms of how it's filmed and shot. Um, like we made a joke beforehand, it kind of looks like an episode of Cops. This entire like movie it like i don't know if it's actually handheld but it it is like replicating the experience of being a handheld camera there's a lot of very long tracking shots um alec baldwin's character junior is like almost always the center of the frame and it has this this really great effect that sort of um replicates the experience of what it must be like to be junior where like his crime spree is almost hypnotizing right it's almost like like everybody's living in sort of like a dream world of some kind, right? Like scenes just sort of happen all of a sudden. There's never really an explanation for like how there's a great montage where he is holding up other crime uh, criminals, right? Like at, at different times, we don't learn how he learned about these criminals. We don't learn how much time has passed. We don't see him um, doing any of the legwork to find out about these heists or whatever that he's foiling so that he can take the money himself. It really just feels like he is bebopping from place to place and these opportunities are just falling in his lap because that's just the kind of life that he leads. And you get the feeling that that's kind of always been his life and is the only life he knows, right? And I, I think that like to to have shot this movie in a more conventional way and to have more conventional scenes would have really robbed it of its sort of like really propulsive hypnotic power that I think like it made it does such a good job of sort of not necessarily making you sympathize with but making you understand the character and the characters at the heart of this because it really it begins to feel like a world unto itself right like I we made the all the jokes about like Miami but it really does it feels like you're in some sort of like like mirror world right like uh, a world that is that is full of crime and where you can sort of like see glimpses of what our world would be like, but those glimpses are always sort of through the looking glass, right? And I think that there are even some very brief parts of this movie where you can see a sort of yearning to get out of this cycle uh, that is obviously never going to come to fruition, and I think everybody involved pretty much knows it, right? Even um, poor uh, Jennifer Jason Lee by the end of the movie. Um, but I just thought that, like, I thought that the pacing of this movie in the in the uh choice to shoot it the way they shot it and everything about the way it's constructed formally did such a great job of communicating visually without needing to um, tell me anything more right to the point where like I understood these characters I understood the stakes I understood the type of movie I was watching without the need for any like preamble or exposition and I, I really appreciated that aspect of this movie. Yeah, I really did as well. And you used, I think you used the, the word hypnotic, which I feel like is a pretty good, um, that's like, yeah, the, the type of sentiment that I was making note of while watching, especially in the early goings, getting a sense of the, 
specific type of skis that like Alec Baldwin's character is this sort of like he's like he's sociopathic, but he's very methodical. It's that that type of thing where you go in in a movie rather like going in with no ex, uh, explanation about like what you know he's Alec Baldwin is bristling with this chaotic um rough sort of energy and like everything he does you glean has like one or two sort of purposes to it like he is you know like he's starting a new or restarting an old life and so like he steals a suitcase to like you know get money and get belongings but also like sell what's in the suitcase to like people that he meets later like those sorts of things like picking up the various inputs that like com- comprise this person's brain and um like that's that's the thing that hooks you early and the um like the cat and mouse interplay between him and Hoke later and also the the back and forth between him and uh, uh rather junior and Susie where he's like you know red flags with every word that he says and she's just all tee <laughs> like this is fun it's like that I, that is um i don't know that that brought me through kind of the the latter stages of the movie um but the formal elements like you said Ari, the the fact that this was shot by tech fujimoto and co-produced by jonathan demi yeah dude it's a fucking fujimoto joint that was awesome to see yeah their their fingerprints are all over this um demi to me more so with demi to me more so with the like melding of like making the edginess work alongside the like the black comedy elements the fact that junior might be otherwise hard to not necessarily sympathize with but like do dutifully follow throughout you know a, a 95 minute motion picture um and then fujimoto with the like you said the the center framing the the tracking shots the <clears throat> making sense of chaos uh like chaotic like we we need to we need to frame this guy in a certain way we need to like get the full sense of what he's doing and not every camera could make that happen necessarily um they clearly made it work here i think um and so yeah and this, there's so much yeah. movement to it right like there's oh, so totally. much momentum to every shot like i love the example you did with where he picks up the suitcase because like the camera dips with him right and like mm, follows yep. in one continuous shot to, to watch him do that in all of the scenes especially the scenes of crime are like that and it, it has this really like driving pace to it where like it it doesn't literally feel like our everything's moving all the time but you kind of get the feeling that even when alec baldwin's character is standing still he's moving toward the next thing he's in like Mm -hmm. a flow state right and you really enter that flow state with him yeah yeah it's like following a surge of electricity uh in the moment that it's happening it's it's wild um i don't know what what sentiments would that echo with you jason if any yeah i think it's it's more that like the way that it again builds sort of maybe playing off of direct assumptions that somebody might have had going into this movie that it's either more lighthearted or more straightforward than it is based on again the promotion sort of what I've seen about it some reviews of it um is like there's a lot of presumed structure by the time that you get to say um Junior and Susie in the hotel room uh where all she has to say is something or excuse me all he has to say is something like the quote i left off at the top about you know not being with a woman for a long time and then suddenly they are fully just in each other's arms they are committed they are like together and in love and it's like this is maybe the kind of cheesiness you would expect of a noir from the late 30s from the 40s maybe like a cheaper pulpier version of this and so it it sort of lulls you both visually and like narratively into that false sense of uh like I don't know like predictability so to speak um and then again with formally where the camera's moving and how we're following the character and how like 
things get a little bit more unhinged as the movie goes. Not ever like fully off the rails, I don't think. I never got an incredibly like, oh, this is handheld camera style feel from it. But maybe that's just because I was following it a little too smoothly uh, and not like noticing that amount of friction. But it just like it is it it, it uses all of its parts, so to speak, to um, like pull your expectations like to put those uh, away to like again you kind of by the time that you meet hoke in the room in the um you know whatever uh fucking police station he's asking uh, one of his informants for money like he's literally I, I think that's what that interaction is he's talking to i think he calls him blink the uh the blind guy who seems to be an informant for him um he's asking him to like spot him money for and it's sort of a uh rye like oh the cop who can't really you know make ends meet and he's in a hotel because you know his wife and he are divorced and all this kind of like you again you're seeing the little pieces of this building up um and then you're sort of anticipating that maybe the focus will shift to hook at some point and it like maybe thematically you could say if you're like head-assing it it does because uh uh, junior impersonates hoke for a good chunk of the movie but not factually it's just it gets to this idea that the movie for me is about like the pieces like pieces of things that just don't fit together necessarily like setting this dark uh you know comedic story in a beautiful sunny perfect plastic place like miami or the hitman uh you know who's the recriminating hitman who's um falling for a uh you know a, a prostitute who dreams of domestication and um even like little tiny stupid pieces like the doorman who who's deaf his only job is to answer the phone and he can't hear anything just these really ridiculous little almost surreal bits of this movie that color it more for me more than like, oh, it's about detectives and about cops and about sociopaths. It's these little tiny moments of that that piece just doesn't fit here. And we have enough of those that it makes it feel like that's kind of the point. Um, I think that echoes visually with like how, again, it does not move like a noir. There are maybe two shots I can think of that are like that could have been from a, a noir or a movie trying to ape noir, noir, noir tropes. In most cases, it's try. It seems like it's trying to directly, maybe subvert or uh, reject those, and still like see how far the bounds of of noir uh, storytelling and narrative can like be stretched before it just becomes a strange black comedy. I it felt like a lot of different things watching this movie, uh, but like a detective story was never one of them, and I found that really like a fascinating turn for where I started versus where I ended with it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but it it comes at a really stark contrast to me with the the tone or the feeling I had of this movie, which is that to me this movie feels so smooth and so realized. I was so bought into its rhythm and its beat. Maybe just because of the way that the scenes are constructed, how long or short they are. The scenes are very short in this movie. They're always moving forward. It's very propulsive like I said that it can take all of those seeming contradictions that you were talking about, Jason, right? Like all of the little, the little like hanging parts that don't quite make sense and feel kind of strange about both these characters and this world. And it makes them all make sense within its own sort of like internal logic in a way that like really worked for me. Um, I just think that like, and maybe again, it's, it's the total lack of preamble or the total lack of um, sort of like exposition at the top of this movie, but everything about this, it felt like I was really like drawn into this sort of like 
charming, charismatic, nihilist world of the main character, Junior, right? Where like he's always on the edge and he's always right about to slip off and he's doing this high wire balancing act um, and he's making it all look easy, right? And I, it felt like it felt like I was being charmed by that. And it, what's interesting about that is like all of the characters sort of act that way, right? Like except for with the, the obvious stark... Um, exception of Susie, everybody's like an operator, right? Nobody's surprised. It's always business as usual. Everybody's always planning their next move. The cops are total, like, right out of the cereal box, sort of like uh, standard cliche cops where, like, they have their own, like, little language. Everybody seems to understand the rules of this world that so well, despite the fact that the rules of this world are so bizarre and intrinsic, right? It, it like, it felt like stepping through again like through the looking glass and into this like this world that really had its own rhythm and pace and um at the heart of it was this character junior but this this character junior is almost just sort of like he's he's like our um like way into it he he's like our um like means of channeling this sort of energy that this entire movie is bringing. Um, and I, I thought that like, it's, it's a really interesting way to reconcile all of the like little, um, all of the strangeness that goes into this movie, right? It makes it feel like nothing is out of place, at least to me, even though like it is, it is often strange, right? There are the, it's a movie full of weirdness of contradictions, right? Like, all of the Susie stuff, it doesn't make a lot of sense for this character until it does. But it does because you sort of like the movie gives you that rhythm to understand it by, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, w I would agree with that. I think that like th this movie is, uh, you know, in a genre, but also in like a kind of a, a larger, you know, collection of films that we discuss. Like every few months we get one of these, right? That they're usually not in like series at the trial on. They're usually like kind of one off films. Um they're usually, you know, like the the kind of nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties kind of crime movies that are like, you know, good but not like considered, you know, classics or whatever. Um I unfortunately I think kind of largely forgotten. Um and I think, you know, unfortunately I would maybe describe them as like a little easily disposable in a way or like easily digestible. I mean, I think of something like uh, devil in a blue dress, which we covered maybe how long ago is that? Two years, a year, maybe just a year, maybe probably two years. Right. It was um, 10 years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. I was, I was 57 at the time. Um, which is a better I'm, a better movie than this movie, but also I know exactly what you mean in a weird way. Like if they are yes. totally of a piece with each other. They are of a piece. I mean, they're they're you know they're they're in the same genre for sure, right? Um, they're also you know adaptations of uh, novels that that were you know intended to be kind of you know easy crime thriller reads, right? This was the the first uh, you know it's a it's an adaptation of a Charles Williford novel. Um, you know, Hoke Mosley was the you know the detective in those novels. Alec Baldwin is obviously kind of the main uh, subject of the film here. Um, but like, I, th I think that like without the character of junior, I think this movie is, is quite a bit worse. Right. But I think that like, yes, the movie is smart enough to know that like junior is like the real appeal here. And it, it like almost sort of like, like a chef, like sprinkling salt, like all the way up here and having it just like land all over the food. We get like seasoned with so much, like just little interesting bits of junior being junior over the course of this entire film that it gives this film like this, this very unique character that I find quite appealing. And yeah. then like none of those scenes are like 
the most amazing things by themselves, but like all of them like have this little bit of style to it that kind of make you smile. Like the, the scene where he's like talking through a haiku as he's doing this kind of, you know, house robbery is like delightful, yeah. right? Like the, right. the way that um, he, he, uh, you know, goes around and just like finds inexplicably these crimes happening in Miami and then just like makes them even worse by inserting himself and like yeah. doing his own crimes in the middle All of them. All will seemingly not stopping, right? He's like a shark, right? It's like you yes. get the idea that he did all this before lunch, right? Like like the, the man wakes yes. up at eight <laughs> o'clock and, and walks straight down the street and has like seven different Yakuza type encounters or something. Which is, it's crazy that like the thing about like Florida being like, Florida being Florida was like, even even before it was like cemented as a meme, it was like in general, like the cultural <laughs> right. osmosis, right? It's like, damn, F- Florida, Florida is a fucking weird place. And I'm sure my, it's part of that's like Miami's like uh, uh, kind of, you know, the stereotypes around crime and whatnot that you know, somewhere like Chicago has for sure. Um, but like, yeah, he just like witnesses, I don't know, six robberies happen over the course of this movie. Mm-hmm. And you get the um, feeling it's because it's of him, right? It's like there's a there's almost like a cowboy bebop vibe to He's this magnetic. movie where it's just like he just like he brings the world along with him, right? I Yes. It's great. Yeah. What what you're saying about like I guess the way that he inserts himself into these situations, it makes it feel like he is like orchestrating them in a way. Like the scene is entirely just him showing up at the scene of a crime. Uh, you know, TV's being stolen and he takes opportunity, he takes advantage of it, uh, a purse being snatched and he, you know, runs away with it as well. Um, it is like the, 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 I think tied in with sort of the general vibe I get of like, oh, these weird, disparate frictiony pieces that don't seem to make sense, but that add to this very sardonic sort of feel of uh, almost parody. I, I hesitate to call it parody or satire of the noir genre because it doesn't, I thought of it as almost farcical. Yeah. It, it's more of a, it's more of a farce, more fantastical farcical, than, yes. than, than uh, satiric or parodic. But like though, I think it's using those specific pieces, the way it's shot and like the direct framing of junior as sort of like, <clears throat> excuse me, at least until the near the end of the story are way in. There's some interesting stuff around that too, uh, is like, it is getting to this broader theme, maybe a little bit of cowboy bebop as well. Um, where, like it's 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 highlighting sort of these falsehoods about the characters like i said there's um uh, like hoke is not the main character but in a way he is because he's the cop identity that's being used to commit all these crimes um you, the 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 fact that um like you guys know the cowboy bebop you get you guys understand cowboy the thing about that show is that it's it's largely based in like noir yes. and western, yes. right? It's, it's fine. Not, it's fine. This is not like you know cowboy beef. For, cowboy wait, for, wait, forever, 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 <laughs> forever, dog. I will always say like this thing from nineteen, you know, ten is like exactly like this Miles thing Davis, from nineteen seventy nine. Trumpets are reminding me a lot of cowboy beef. Yes, I can do that. Fuck like, off. Yeah, it's, you know, you know what we're saying. Called relative <laughs> points of reference. It's fine to do that. I, anyway. Yes, I understand. Also, cowboy bebop is a is a show about characters that are trapped in the genre that they are a part of and no longer want to be uh, and I think that that's also what this movie is but we can talk about that yeah. after Cody says something Cody what's up yeah yeah we sure can um, I heard those same trumpets by the way and I thought oh wow these um, sound like La La Land uh, that a point that I did want to um, th- this is ultimately yeah a point that I uh, that kind of stuck in my craw like in a good way but as a potential discussion point of like Miami as like the hotbed for all this because I did I think around the time of the like the you know, the gas station car drives through the, the convenience store, the gas station and he chucks a bottle of 
pasta sauce. It's like, man, this dude's running into crime every which way. And that I think the, I like the, the narrative y'all are are putting forth uh, a little bit more of just because of the magnetism of this dude. Like he's enigmatically drawing these situations onto himself just because of like, you know, his, his status in this particular universe, like crime is drawn to him. Um, you know, in a, but in a sort of yeah, like Gotham City esque way, like there's crime around every corner. He has terminal main character syndrome, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and I guess maybe more broadly, that is just a way in which this movie maps um, noir, or I guess more specifically neo noir, onto like what it's trying to do. The idea of because like you go into whether it's like um, like old time noir or like an, an old western, maybe where it's like a, a small town, you know, a, a dusty corner of of the world where like nobody thinks to look and so you know anybody can get away with anything in the hiding in the shadows there's there's shit lurking and juxtaposing that onto a a big city like miami and like kind of um i don't know cartoonishly portraying it where it's it's bright and it's kind of like the idea of um you know fargo just like bloody crime like the worst things imaginable happening in like a big snowy landscape like that's I can kind of read that or like this is a parallel to that where it's like, it's, it's Miami. Um, we're, we're building this in world of like, I really I'm like sure this. crime, crime happened or happens in Miami, but like we're building it up to be something a little bit different just because of the nature of this particular beast, like a, a setting to pair alongside this dude who deserves, you know, this sort of world because I don't know, he's, he's commanding it or he wants to command it. Um, so that's yeah. I don't, I'm I'm still kind of figuring this out as we go, but like Miami as a character, Miami as like the, a, a neo noir setting, um, and just like populating it with all these droogs that Alec Baldwin needs to either shoot or like con into like a, a overcoming because he's pretending to be a cop is uh, that's a, a fascinating nugget to how this all works. I think I think that's a great way to to like one the comparison to Fargo I think is is very uh, learned and and insightful. But two, I think that like, that is a great way to talk about Junior is um, like the thing that disarmed me about this movie mostly was I, I felt like I was kind of on top of things until it started to break out some really strange humor and mostly centered around Junior's like acts in the world. Um, the first time I was like, whatever, I could write off the cops at the airport, you know, sort of crassly commenting on whether or not it was. Uh, simple assault or murder one uh, that he killed the Krishna by breaking his finger. Um, Like that felt like table stakes a little bit in the whole noir form. But on top of that, like once we get to the scene of him going to the toy store and pointing the Uzi at the, uh, like the squirt gun at the register and her saying price check and he holds it up and she says, disregard. Like that's just a really fucking, it's it's a funny fucking gag, but it comes out of absolutely nowhere. Like it is again, like, yeah, Aaron's making his uh, salt bay um, fucking emoji face. Well, and, and just like, the fact that Alec Baldwin is playing this like he's like a fucking like crash bandicoot. The human yeah, he's, so he's like <laughs> he's, he's very, very he's so good, good in this movie, movie dude. Uh, it's, it's he's a, oh, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic. Yeah. Like just like those constant. I mean, I, I have like six things where the, the Uzi squirt gun gag, the fact that he broke a guy by, excuse me, killed a guy by breaking his finger. Um, The Porsche bit where he's making impressions in bed. He's doing like a very. uh uh, Tony Montana type type voice with his sunglasses on. 
um, the whole uh, haiku. Yeah, exactly. Making the haiku, finding a big gun and his like very Nick caging out performance in that scene specifically. Uh, I was mentioning where they have mostly over for dinner and doesn't know that he's that he's looking for junior. And like in one scene, he's avuncular and dressed in this like fun 80s sweater. And then in the, literally the next shot, leaning over his pork chop dinner, he's just completely shirtless and tatted. It's, it's like without explanation, these gags, these moments that are just supposed to like at whose expense are we laughing? Doesn't particularly matter. Like, am I laughing because he's now suddenly shirtless? Am I laughing because that's like a brazen thing to do in front of the cop that's pursuing you? Um, unknown, but like it just treats. I never, yeah, I didn't think about that. That's a good. I just like cuts to him at dinner, and he's like, sure, exactly. Sure, that's a great move. Exactly, Alpha and then he, maneuver. It's 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 in, and it feels like a thing that should be that should not belong in a story where one guy is trying to avoid another guy's detection. That specific right. moment is is really big, I think, for like my perception of the character. But generally, through those moments, it starts to build like, okay, this is no longer um like a story about. Uh, somebody who's on the run from something. It is more about how he's how he operates in this specific place, in this specific sure, like you know, in, in this version of Miami. And I Ooh. think that is what colors like that's what makes this movie. Like if if Fargo had one interesting character, I think it would be, be a lot more like Miami Blues, where it's like, oh, this. I mean, not that nobody else is interesting in this movie, but like he means as oh, opposed okay. to several. Yes, as opposed. Oh, to, sure. Oh, okay. yeah. Yes. No, I, I, I was, I'm sorry. My inflection like, on that. No, like, if it only if it had only one interesting character, we'll say like one character that acted like you feel like somebody should be acting in a world as weird as this. But you know, Fargo isn't. It's got a whole cast of everybody who kind of does does that shit. I don't know. It's him as like he seems to contain these multitudes, and yet it reduces him to a simple goof so fucking often in this movie that it's a very easy like i'm gonna latch onto this guy i can sort of predict what he's going to do he's probably going to cause violence and mayhem and yet i don't know really what that means for the rest of the story because he's the only one who's acting that bizarrely even in the frame weird bizarre framing of this movie a uh, fantastic way to get into the movie is by just watching where he you know like his his comedic hits and where what jokes it gives him and what jokes it plays on him um that is where like i finally turned around on this movie and i was like okay this is no longer sort of a over the plate, you know, noir set in Miami, uh, baking sun and, and, you know, uh, and, and soft shoes, soft sole shoes on the pavement kind of noir. This is just a freaky, bizarre ass, all, like dark comedy, um, that rarely has the musical cues or camera movements to really sell that. Instead, it's playing some pieces straight and some pieces not. It was, it's just a fantastic way to watch this movie unfold as it goes. Yeah, well, I mean, I think what I really latched onto about what you just said is that it's so clear that Junior is not on the run because he literally takes no steps to sort of like cover his tracks. It's it's yeah. not clear at all that he's trying to get away with anything. Even at the very end when he's shot by the cop, it's just sort of like he almost shrugs it, right? He's like, yeah, well, that's the end of that. It's like so at no point does he ever hot under the collar, really. Uh, he says that he wants an ordinary life. He says he wants to escape. And there is maybe some attraction to that, right, in, embodied in his attraction to Susie. But if anything, it's more bemusement. Like, I, I love the first scene with him and Susie because he almost can't believe that somebody like Susie still exists in the world, right? And that he is running into her and that he can be a part of her life for however long. And it doesn't seem like he harbors any illusions about what that's going to turn out to be, right? He's just going to, like everything else, just let it ride see where it takes him, right? It's just sort of like, you know, he he says the world's a shithole. I don't want any kids. 
there's the whole symbolism of the uh, frisbee that they're tossing. He tosses a frisbee with her. There's a very brief scene where he sees a family on the beach tossing a frisbee, and we see what looks like it could be construed as yearning in his eyes. And then finally, she tosses, or the cop tosses the frisbee to her at the end of the movie. But all all through that, for a guy who says he wants a normal life, he makes absolutely no attempt to do that, right? He makes no attempt to stop what he's doing, to even cover up what he's doing. Um, he's just doing a, what is apparently the only thing he knows how to do, right? Or the only thing he wants to do. There's this great sort of genre awareness um, that, like, the best noir protagonists have. But, like, where the noir protagonists are sort of characterized by an angst they have about the genre in which they exist. Uh, there is no angst to Junior's character in my mind. Junior knows exactly what he's about and what he's doing and is sort of prepared to accept the consequences of it on any level, right? Like he's, he's trying to get away with it, right? He's going to try to like live on the edge as long as he can. But like there is, there is this almost affability to even when he is doing uh, sociopathic things that makes him so charming, right? It's like, even when he's like shooting people, and like mugging people and uh, setting up the cop, it's it's almost like he's doing it with this sort of like wink in his eye that that makes him so sort of like likable. It's it's like uh, I thought I thought a lot about like the the way that people felt about like prohibition gangsters, right? Where like they were almost like celebrities uh, in their time, and everybody really liked them. And it was like God, it was yeah. just right. <laughs> well, uh, and uh, um, it was just because like there's there's just this like this affability to the stakes that that junior is a part of. And I, I think that like, that's my, maybe my favorite part about this movie is just the way that it handles genre so differently. Where like, I think that that junior is a character who is like so intimately aware of the story that he's in, but he's not interested in making it a different story or trying to like, he's, he's sort of resigned to, the uh like the fact that he is a part of this absurd crime world he's he is sisyphus if sisyphus was happy right <laughs> it's it's like he he has fully embraced sort of like existential absurdity absurdity uh but like in a way that that he makes look good <laughs> and it, it, there's almost like it, it's in a bizarre way even as he is killed for it like there is a um an appeal to it that is sort of impossible to overlook. And I think that like even Susie at the end is sort of like speaking to that, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like, well, he, he was never a cruel person to me. He was never like, because he was totally like comfortable with who he was and where he was, even though what he was doing was absolutely batshit insane. <laughs> yeah. Like the reward for it is just having done it a little bit. Like again, the, the Sisyphus analogy, I think again, or just, being able to be junior, right. right? It's like like when you are as comfortable with who you are and what you're doing as he is, mm -hmm. you get to be Alec Baldwin, right? You get yeah. to be this like cool, charming, ridiculous person. It's like H.I. in uh, Raising Arizona, if H.I. was way, way better at this shit, yeah. right? Yeah. But it's like, you know, like you get the feeling that like genuinely he is totally self-actualized as this like small time right. ridiculous crook. Which... And like to be anything else would be ridiculous. He even says like... uh I don't, I don't understand why anybody would spend their life in a burger world, no matter how much money you're going to make, right? I think it's mm -hmm. exactly like you said, Jason. It's like the money is not the point. The point is like to live this life. Yeah. I mean, and that's what makes the sort of like maybe not convincing, but like repeatedly shown uh, longing, at least on Susie's part, 
um, and like performatively on uh, on Junior's part to like settle down and have this, you know, like the symbolism of the Frisbee and stuff. I think even that is like becomes a bit of a gag in the background because the uh, again, to remind everyone that the plot goes that you know the the further and further Susie and Junior get in the relationship the more he like realizes the value at least in the background like maybe we don't see this happening within him but he sees the value of having like somebody to rely on a like a partner so to speak somebody that he can at least hide out with um any gestures at you know intimacy and they fall in love etc they they get uh, I don't know if they ever actually do get married if i remember correctly but they refer to each other as fiancés etc um and that leads him to rent a home uh, out in the suburbs for them. And that is literally the thing that gets them caught is the police track down their utility bill, which they would not have had that kind of paper trail had they not like drawn so close, had he not decided to, you know, sort of extend the olive branch that far toward his own, uh, you know, next, the next vine, so to speak, uh, swinging from, from one, from vine to vine. Um, if he hadn't tried that hard, if he hadn't let it get, go that far without, you know, again, like just waiting for the boulder to fall down the other side of the hill, then probably would not have been caught. So he was again, but like, if we're assuming that truly the action is the reward and like the, um, what he wants and how he acts around it are two different things. Uh, then like, I, I think that's where the tension comes in and sort of that like wry dark comedy is he got closer to a thing that he had said that he wanted. And there's, you know, signs that he, that he wanted something like domestic life and a partnership, uh, that like at every turn, we have to remember that he doesn't actually want, but still that thing, how far he let it go is sort of like the, the Achilles heel of, of his continuing, you know, uh, uh, gallivanting around, uh, Miami. I'm, I'm very like, yeah, I like, I like that. I I feel it's, it's almost silly though. Right. Because like, I, I think that like, that is his character flaw, right? That is what gets him caught. He even says at one point, like, oh, this, this normal life has got me soft, which is a hilarious line to say, because that's right after he tried to defeat an armed gunman with a uh, spaghetti sauce can and gets hit by a car uh, for his trouble. But like, you're right, right? Like it, there is this idea that the tension inherent in him that keeps him from self-actualizing the sort of self-illusion that, uh, that he might be a normal person, that he might get out, that he might be able to have this life with Susie. That's what brings his ultimate downfall. But even that is farcical, right? Because like mm-hmm. we see so little of it. And it feels so little like the actual plot of the movie, right? Like you can maybe make the argument that like, oh yes, this is like a tragedy in that classical sense. But like we get so little of that and it, it does not really feel like the point, right? Like instead it, it feels like maybe the the tragedy or the, the farce of it all is this idea that like he's been taught to want this. And so he wants it, even though it's so clearly half-assed, right? It's like, oh, like I have to have some sort of goal, I have to aim towards something, even though like aiming towards that in a world like this one feels so patently absurd. And like it, it is right. And it turns out to be, and he ends up going down. And I, I love the, like the last shot is just a fucking shot of Miami. It's just like, yep, there it is. Like that's one more story in this naked city of ours or, or whatever. Right. And, but, but it is sort of like it, it sets up the the classical stakes of sort of a tragedy and then sort of like takes a shit on that idea itself, right? This idea that like this is a moral story, right? Or that that like, oh, like if only he would have like 
self-actualized in a different direction. It's just sort of like, no, like this was a dude who was living the life that was always going to end this way. And then it ended that way. And maybe he or we harbored illusions that it was going to end some other way, but it was absurd for us to believe that. (laughs) Yeah. I think I agree with you in that. Like I, I don't find an especially like large amount to chew on in regard to like junior's character and like the idea of like the American dream or like making it right. I think that like, he wants those things as like, you know, I think he, he, my read on his character is that he like, you know, uh, kind of yearns for those things because he feels like maybe he is supposed to. Right. And I think right, he's exactly. always I think going it's... to be, I, well, he's always going to be uncomfortable in his current situation yeah. and desire more, but at the same I, time, and I, it, that's I, all I, an excuse, right? It's like, that's what's, uh, that's right. what's running his engine. But like, I, that's just, it's almost arbitrary, <laughs> right? He just needs something to make him yes. go. I, but I do think that like, you know, although I don't think there's like too much to chew on with like his character, I do think that like Susie as a character like is about that, right? Like Susie very much desires, you know, a, a kind of more regular domestic life. Um, you know, she kind of has her own plans uh, to get there that are kind of, you know, upended when Junior comes along. It's like, you know, she, at the start of the film, she's working as a, a sex worker, right? It's it's like hinted at that she comes from a life that's like maybe not as secure, um, and she, you know, kind of represents, um, you know, kind of stereotypical for better, mostly for worse, kind of, uh, you know, domestic, um, you know, femininity, right? And that she's like, she's good at cooking, she's good at baking, she wants to fulfill the role that she imagines as this kind of domestic wife, you know, for this husband, who, of course, has his business that I don't, I don't understand, right? He has investments, right? Um, and she wants that kind of a life, you know, she she is like, enraptured by the the house that that he rents for her right that's like a very stereotypical uh uh you know kind of uh, american house i think that like the scene where she's walking through um and taking a look at everything is like i think like one of the better scenes in the film i think where like you know one it's of the most the for sure. in the kitchen yes um and like you know we know what's going to happen at the end of this right like i i don't i never thought she was going to like die per se but she's not ending up in that house at the end of the movie well, and, right and fucking junior is the most dead character of all time right like you knew yeah. he was oh. going to die in the first scene of the movie <laughs> i i got to say i didn't know it would, i didn't know the fingers thing got to me though that yeah that is like a nice detail and i'm like oh that's 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 quite good um i do think that there is these types of movies where you're, you're following around some sort of sociopath, you know, as long as it's not some sort of like, um, uh, 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 movie about sociopathy, like winning and like being kind of the, 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 like the main element of American society. Like a, a lot of movies do that American psycho. If you're not doing that and you're just like seeing a character like this, where you're like, this character is going to die. There's always a turning point near the end of the movie when like something happens and you're like, Oh, he's done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's really interesting when that happens. Like the minute he gets these, his fingers cut off, I don't know what it is, but it's like, oh, yeah, he's done. Like the minute that happens, he, the dream is over, right? Like the the image, something about his fingers being cut off, like ruin the kind of smiling, gimmicky yes. image that well, he gives off that enables him to do what he and does. And what's so right? cool about that is that that's prefigured because there's another wound in this movie when he gets injured uh, and has to yes. sew his eyebrow back together. But and it's like, not, that one's not Fully, that's not, like, that's, it's not there yet, but it still could par- make it work. It's part yes. of the same thing, though, right? Like the the bodily destruction in this movie is so fascinating because it's a motif that recurs, right? Uh, like the the um the cop has fake teeth 
that he has to keep putting in. And so it's like these these people are like bearing the irreversible wounds that are sustained by the li- the world in which they're living. And those wounds are reflective of a sort of like psychic, psychological yes, scarring they're... that makes it impossible for them to like operate the way Susie is, for instance, right? There is no fake teeth for there 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 is there are fake hands, yeah. there are fake legs, there are fake all sorts of stuff. There are no fake fingertips, right? Yeah. Which is like the thing, I think. Sure. Where it's like this this character relies on the artifice and his and fingers now, being cut off in that manner is like just a, a definitive statement that like that somehow artifice is irreversible. Broken. Yeah. yeah. Or just like yeah, even if it, even if it isn't literally true, just like the trauma of us seeing it. Like the the shock of seeing something irreversible happen to this Teflon character is so shocking. And it's so it's such a turning point. You're right. It reminds me a lot of The Gambler, which is like this really good James Conn movie where like James Conn can't help but keep doubling down on things. And like by the end of the movie his like body's falling apart. Like he's he's literally like people have slashed his face to pieces and shit. Oh no! And and yeah, well, it's, it's so wild, right? right? Yeah, and it's yeah. it's like literally like this person is like the consequences of their actions are like literally taking them apart piece by piece. Yeah. Um, I really like the contrast of Susie to Junior because like I think Susie is the only character who has any sort of like hope that the world that she has been sold exists, right? But what sucks about her and what's so sad and tragic about her is that she is already also on the path that all of the other characters are, right? Where, like, she has clearly already had a pretty tough life, right? Like, it, I think that the very last scene with her is pretty indicative where she's like, hey, I, I liked him because he always ate the things that I cooked for him and he never hit me, right? Like, that, those were her big parameters for, like, this guy's not so bad. Um, whereas, like, like, Junior spent his entire life in prison. Right. And so, um, like all of these people are like in the process of being disillusioned and it feels like just a matter of time before you lose that completely. And this is almost like a coming of age story for Susie where she ends up in the place or closer to the place that the cop and junior are by the end of the movie. I like that you brought up the disillusionment of the characters over the course of the movie because it had, it bears like a parallel um, to I think it's just the Wikipedia. I don't know where it's sourced to, but apparently George Armitage had like the intent in mind to, like you were saying earlier about the ability to, I don't know, not empathize, but at least like be along for a ride with Junior somewhat, uh, and sort of like his magnetism and the you know you 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 want like to follow where he's going. Apparently, uh, the director said, uh, I'll just quote directly, what I wanted to do was have the audience go on uh, that ride with Junior while he was running around and playing cop and to really enjoy it. And the audiences uh, I saw it with did. But then slowly, I wanted to take away from them, take that away from them so that by the end of they would feel a little bit guilty about having so much fun earlier on in the picture. However, it kind of backfired. We did a preview in New Jersey and the audience was horrified when Junior died. They practically rioted when Alec was killed. And that sort of reflects to me like the again building a sort of dangerous magnetism there and like not committing hard enough to if you're going if if truly you want and i don't know that it was would have been the best directorial decision to make like try and make this character unlikable or like uh like ex more explicitly a, a bad person so to say um like we 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 sort of knew who he was again through the goofiness through the violence that he exhibits through the continued like uh, choices of a, of a, of a hard time hustler that he keeps making throughout the movie. Um, I don't think it was like necessarily a, you're along for the ride and it's fun and it's a goofy like time with him. It was always like, this is going to catch up to him eventually because he's not in it for an end goal. Like, like Harry and I were saying, he's not in it for money, whether or not he gets the money he's in it to 
like keep doing it. He's feeding the machine to keep running the machine. And I think like the more pieces you're feeding to that over the course of the movie, the harder it might've been to again, turn the character toward a less empathetic toward a, like, like the director said toward like a guilty place for the audience. Um, so that like disillusionment that the characters feel with like their station, with their lot, with like the way that they've interacted with specifically junior, but mostly, you know, with the world around them and the characters within it, um, is like, for me, it's reflected in like how they wanted the, you to feel about the character itself is like, you can have your good times. You can like hope for better, but eventually the reality of the situation catches up. The cop catches him. The cop kills him. The, you know, woman who was hoping to build a life with him is, to, you know, then left somewhat bereft, um, with, you know, no real direction. I, I, d- d- does that make, like, is there, is there anything there in that parallel, Harry? Does that like seeing it all with what I th- you're saying? Well, I think you're characterizing my favorite part of the movie, which is that all of those things are true, but it doesn't focus on them at all. Like this is a movie about the seduction of a sociopath and the person he's seducing is you basically, right? Like, I I think the director was right on when it was like, oh, like, I want to make sure everybody is, like, having so much fun with this person. Um, And I I think in its own way that, that, like, builds a really good argument for it, right? Like, this this movie reminded me at times, this is a weird comparison, but, like, of Goodfellas, right? Like, I I thought a lot about how, like, the whole point of Goodfellas in the first act is like, hey, like, the reason I became a gangster is because it's a way better life than I could have ever had possibly in any other way. And I kind of like that for junior here too, right? Where it's just like, Hey, like this is an absurd world where none of us actually have a chance to get the American dream or anything like that. But like, what if we could build some other version of ourselves that, that could self-actualize within like, and despite our obstacles and like, maybe it would look like this and like, Hey, maybe it's, amoral or immoral in this case but like you you can't tell me that it doesn't look good right because like otherwise you're the the guys in goodfellas that great line where he says like the truck drivers who like spent their weekends going to the movies and rooting for the bad guys right it that's like how it feels to me and i like i love this idea that like it's this movie is so uninterested in being sort of um uh, scolding movie, right? Like I, yes. I genuinely think that this movie is totally uninterested in scolding Alec Baldwin. I think in, instead it's sort of like, you know, again, kind of like a Scorsese movie, which is maybe why idiots don't understand Scorsese movies, right? That like, oh, like instead we're describing how somebody got to this point. And the fallout is a natural consequence, sure, because of course it is. But like the like portraying the fallout does not have to be sort of like, and that's why you shouldn't do this, because like everybody fucking knows you shouldn't be Alec Baldwin's character in this. But there is something so seductive and so um like demonstrative mm-hmm. and suggestive about the appeal of a character like this, right? Because like, yes, like I you know, it's like I work a shitty job fifty hours a week, most weeks, and it, it's like yeah, after that, like, it's Sunday. I do root for the fucking bad guys in movies. Like, this sounds great. I would love to just go on a fucking crime spree, right? Like, FBI, if you're listening, I'm totally kidding. That's in not Minecraft, true. In Minecraft, uh, in Roblox, in Genshin Minecraft, Impact. Yeah. But, like, you know what I mean? And it's like, I think that there's something really important about, like, demonstrating that. Again, sort of like how in Prohibition, like, we had, like, these terribly popular outlaw figures just because it was like, hey, like, we all know we're getting fucking screwed. And like, at least these guys are screwing back. Like there, there's something to be said about that. And I, I think that like portraying that and like, but instead of like having it be this pointed sort of like, we don't even really get how the the characters in this movie are getting screwed, except that it's so clear that they are. 
And I, I just, you know, I, it's fun to root for a character who is not taking that lying down, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, the most like hacky joke about this movie, but it's like, it's a fucking GTA Vice City crime spree. That's it very, it's it very much is. Yeah. 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 That's for a, sure. You know. Cody, you don't get to turn off your camera for that one. You know that, you know that game. Is this a principal thing? Are you not just. Not that one. I know what the concept of GTA is. You, you never can't just GTA like Vice City? A... No. That was my first GTA game. Was a good and I, game. I just, I sort of love the, the subversive idea, right? That it, that it's like, yeah, like, like. Alec Baldwin's character, Junior, he could have, maybe he could have been somebody else, but then we wouldn't be watching this movie. And like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be the cool character that we know him as. To, yeah. It's like smoking, right? It's like, yeah, smoking's bad for you, but it looks cool as fuck. Yeah. So like, what are you going to do, motherfucker? I, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, we've sort of touched on this throughout the rest of the conversation, but like, as a cap on what I have to say about Junior, I think, I think I rather like that it's not like, oh, look at the sort of, freaky folks and moral ambiguity and like you know appeal of a of a richy lifestyle that florida breeds that miami breeds like look at that, this singular place it's like he's not even from there he, he he flew in and killed a guy at the airport like he is he is endemic to everywhere in like at least america uh and like he's just transplanted into a place that seems to allow and reward that to a certain extent again we've talked about how this is kind of a gonzo version of Miami itself but um I think in another movie it'd be like he he was this is his turf this is his place and in this case it's I like, think that Junior brings Miami with him wherever he goes <laughs> There you go there you go Spirit of Miami uh is alive <laughs> um right I'm going to open up that there junk drawer um uh Aaron did you have anything for the junk drawer today any any thoughts that we should pull out I I always put 100% out there during the game. I leave it all out <laughs> on the field. You know what I mean? I don't know. No. Wow. Between that and Jason invoking right over the plate, this is an oddly, like subtly sporty episode that we got here. Um, the, the only, I think, extraneous thing, it, it wasn't worth a, a grander discussion by any means, I don't think, but I, I loved the final couple of brief notes of this movie we've already talked about the ending a little bit like the shots and like they're just bite-sized moments with like a handful of the different threads that are just like permeating this entire movie the um hoke saying uh i got my teeth back and then spirit in the sky booting up which is what kicked off the movie Mm -hmm. uh that frisbee toss that was previously mentioned and then the shot of miami which i think is the final shot of the movie just like bang 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 it's like wow what a a, a perfect series of dominoes that's yeah one of my one of my pound for pound maybe one of my favorite endings to a movie that i've seen in a while just for how it like i don't know yeah touched on so many of those different things uh, like in in cutesy fun ways that made mm-hmm. me forget about the fact that you know i just i witnessed uh, a, a grisly death um that was just i don't know a, a nice tone to to end on for my mind yeah anyway. i mean the way the fact that they ended with like a pre-death monologue like a letter that he had written to Susie that ends with and that's how i got the miami blues and then spirit in the sky kicks in Shut i mean can you imagine <laughs> ending the movie any no i i, I do want to talk about because harry brought up the frisbee toss I mentioned it as part of like my supporting argument um, in that Frisbee toss, I guess like because we had seen the motif pulled up earlier in the movie. Um, I was reading like that Susie has been in relationships with people like Hoke before, maybe long or not. 
and that it has been like characterized by the things that she was saying she was with junior to uh, escape, you know, like that, uh, Hoke ate, excuse me, junior ate all of her cooking and never hit her. And that in cases like right. with Hoke, presumably people like him, or maybe even him have done, have been that kind of person to her before. Um, and there's this, like this sort of, sort of soft, like realization that like in a good world, I would be not an evil enough kind of person. I would not be a cop. I would not be like a presumably abusive husband who has been left by his wife in a good world. You would be able to like support yourself and like find the, uh, uh, you know, domestic life that you, that you seek with somebody who could help you achieve those goals, et cetera, et cetera. Um, right. but like instead there's something and, generally hopeful about yeah. it, which it, which I well, and, but, but really sad, right? Because it's, yes. like, it's, yeah. <clears throat> I think you're right, right? Like the tossing of the Frisbee symbolizes like a passing of that knowledge, right? It's just sort of, and the Frisbee is such a great potent symbol for that because it's so childish and it's sort of a ridiculous pastime when you think about it. Like I, there's something yeah. sort of well, absurd and farcical about it, but like in a in a good way, right? Like it, but it, but it is such like a a sad childish moment when he like tosses her that frisbee and she catches it, and it's just sort of like, oh, like now I understand, right? Like this is always how it was going to go. We are all part of this same world, this Miami Blues world, where like this was the only ending that was ever going to happen. He pops his teeth back in so that he can smile at her, right? And it's like <laughs> that's another like great great symbol right where it's just like oh like this is not like this is all artifice this is all like this was never going to be a happy ending this was always going to be the only ending that could happen for characters like us in a world like this yeah definitely i i think i guess one other thing i think it would maybe have looked a little less childish if they used like a, a better disc not for nothing they the one used they were a like a, one of those disc. flimsy yeah that would have been worse. You can't fly those things straight <laughs> casually. Like there's a whole like that that requires so much technique. I have a lot of respect for people who do that and can get the those flappy things to to fly where they want to. But yeah, like a, a bigger a bigger disc, easier to throw, easier to catch. Um, but maybe them looking a little bit childish was kind of the point. So there is Ooh, there's yeah. that aspect so as well. Something childish. Something, something yeah, to I non. thought so. I think um, I think I'm gonna edit together uh, him like receiving the frisbee from uh, uh, from Susie in their yard. And then cutting to him with his fingers cut off, just because. Oh, that'd be good. That. Or Keanu doing the the poke in the neck thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this isn't really a junk drawer thought, but just last thing. Um, I think Jennifer Jason Lee's really good in this movie, and it's like kind of a thankless role, right? Like, unfortunately, like like Aaron said, like she is kind of a cliche in a lot of ways, just the sort of like innocent who's sort of like caught in the crossfire of all of this but i i think she brings a lot of gravity to the character sort of like a a naivete that is that is almost like brave uh in my opinion right it's like it's like she knows better but she is trying to be the type of person who isn't in a story like this and understands that she's trying to be that character and is sort of like you know like there's that great line where she's he's like <clears throat> the cop asked did you know he was going to rob the store and she's like I was hoping he wouldn't yeah <laughs> it's like that that's not her saying like oh I didn't think you would it's saying like well I was really sort of holding out that yeah. like maybe we could turn this shit around but to answer your question yes but like yeah you right? know. <laughs> yes but exactly yeah. uh, I think that that like I that gives her character um a little bit more weight that that sort of elevates it from. Uh, the cliche that I think it could have been. And I think a lot of that has to do with her performance. For sure. For sure. Uh, interesting, strange movie to discuss. Uh, a lot of fun. Check it out whenever you can. Uh, that's going to be the last time we talk about 
the specifics of this movie, unless something comes up in our actual final segment, but we have one more segment before we get there. Uh, and it's one that I haven't yet come up with a sound effect for because just nobody seems to be on board with it. I always seem to get the most incredibly like negative reaction to this segment, but it's a segment where I like to go back in the archives and pull episodes that we've done about movies that were released in the same year as this one. Um, so we have uh, for 1990 Miami blues, other loves we've tried is the segment name. Uh, episode 21 on Miller's Crossing with Eric Leith, uh, another 1990 neo-noir, go figure. Uh, Try Love in the Time of Corona, Episode 5 with about Total Recall with Logan Lafferty. That's just because it's one of his favorite movies. We didn't have any specific uh, showing schedule for that, but it was a fun detour. Um, episode 75. Also, fun fact, that was, uh, I believe that was the third episode we ever recorded, Jason. It was one of the episodes that never made it to, uh, yep. to the editing bay, but... Uh, secretly a very early episode you know maybe subscribe at the ten dollar a month patreon tier and you'll get access unlimited access to the archives which is like two or three episodes that we never released uh from before the actual production time of trial of before zencaster god damn it was before zencaster uh check those out in the backlog but episode better seven, times tbh mm, pre-zencaster before cody mm. was here ouch um episode seventy. Well, that too <clears throat> episode 75 on the juniper tree which was recorded i believe one of the nights of if not like the night after the peak of the george floyd riots in yeah that was an interesting time huh i do i remember we were pretty upset during that recording <laughs> it, it, listening but i have gone back just as a cultural document for our time with that with that movie it was not not, not our most full-throated examination of the movie i'll be honest just because there's a shitload going on in the world outside uh including like less than a mile from Seth's and my apartment, uh, the actual third precinct building burning down. Uh, well, actually, at that time it was Aaron's in my apartment, but you were out of town, Aaron. It was Suspiciously, me. you were missing. I, I was. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good luck. I saw your car but, with Wisconsin did I burn down at that the police station? No, I didn't, but I wish I did. You wish you did. Uh, uh, you well, know, you can, they're, they're doing regret. another. You could do it again. Uh, one more again. And episode 102 uh, was also on a 1990 movie that only the t most uh, distinguishing tastes will appreciate this one, especially amid the myriad others we covered from this director. Days of Being Wild took our episode 102 spot. Uh, it's Dabu a great stands, movie. Stands Rise Up. Pretty good movie. Yep. It's it was. I I believe. I, I believe it was the best Wong Kar Wai movie we covered. I love that movie. That's, that's Days that's of Being Wild. Thing for you to belongs say. on that list, and that was oh other loves we've tried. It's been a hundred and. 50 160 some episodes since we covered any movies from 1990 up your and game he still doesn't have good movie opinions we've up we've your game. <laughs> so many movie episodes we've been trying folks but it's still they will you never know. get me you'll never find me having good opinions on good movies uh check out our backlog wherever you get podcasts we've just switched to pinecast so it should be a little bit easier to find episodes wherever you listen but maybe not soundcloud because i don't think it's syndicating there anymore uh my apologies to anybody who was a diehard SoundCloud fan, but we're, uh, you know, we're watching the metrics. Um, we're listening to our audience. Uh, we appreciate your understanding in this traveling and uh, tiring time. But we have one final segment, actual final segment, uh, where we uh, play a game with Cody, and I need Harry to help me introduce it. Yes, the final segment, which we like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties. Wow, thank you. Before getting in into all this, um, we we removed a segment where we could explicitly talk about the visuals of the movie in favor of a segment where the whole bit is, LOL, this bit is yeah. bad. Tighten it up, Daphnis, for the love of God. Um, I really, I really no. miss Good Grief, Give Me a Jiff, to be honest. I, None I of you missed it. As well. 
that I was surprised it was on the cutting room floor in the first place, but we'll we'll hash that out. Maybe twenty twenty four, the year where we, we don't need to hash tighten up out. our bits. We might have yes. to tighten up. It's, tighten up by means of um opening the floodgates but thank you for that poetic introduction fellas i say poetic because there's a a bit of poetry writing in this movie we talked about it a little bit it came up a few times they had that haiku writing scene um or sequence rather and i figured hey that doesn't seem like such a bad idea i'm johnny knoxville and this is miami haikus uh, using my patented spinner app i will determine the person by person order of writing a haiku one word at a time. So I'll spin the wheel. The selected person will put forth a word and we'll keep going until we have a full five, seven, five syllable poem. Um, maybe this is ambitious, but uh, rule of threes for comedy and podcasting. I will write three haikus together, each one with a different theme. Um, as always, trivia mafia rules apply. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and so to give us a visual reference. Yeah, I'm going to look up Basho's haikus and just start. <laughs> is this technically three them? syllables? Uh, exactly. Um, yeah, please don't do that. These, uh, gotta be organic from the noggins in the moment. Uh, I'll drop a, excuse me, a link to a shared doc in the chat where I'll be typing these up. We can get uh, a bit of a a visual reference for all of this. Um, so we've got uh, a lot of plates spinning in the air while I pull the, um, the spinner app up the, our first haiku, uh, the theme, we're going to have the theme uh being i'm typing this as i go the theme is going to be miami pretty easy open entry point um all things considered uh or i don't know we'll see we'll see how this goes uh but in the interest of trying new things um this is what we're going with the first uh person the first word for this haiku uh is going to come from aaron so aaron throw it out there how are we starting off this miami haiku miami Excellent. Hey, look at that. Three syllables down, baby. This is this is how poets work, I believe. Um, Jason, you are next on the docket. How are you going to follow up that? Sunset. Miami. Ooh. Sunset. Look at that. We got five down to the second second row here. Uh, the the seven and what is it? Landed back on Aaron, and we're going to abide by that. We're going to abide by if repeats come up. The this is gospel in this case. Um, back to Aaron for starting off the second line of this haiku. What are we? What are we going with? Miami sunset. Um, warm. Warm. Our Here's first me. monosyllabic word of the poem. Look That's at this, right. fellas. Give, give you space to work with. All right. Yeah. Okay. Get back over to Aaron. Jesus. Okay, I'll uh, warm nights. Yeah, am I looking at? Am I looking at like a fucking Miami vaporwave background? Who can say? You know, who can? can What inspiration am I in my drawing from? Whomst among us can say? Uh, None of us, except for I guess Aaron. But we're over to Harry for the next word. Harry, what you thinking? I'm gonna go with mojitos, Cody. Mojitos. Warm nights, mojito. Warm nights, mojitos. So we got room for two more syllables on that line, uh, and we're back over to. I'm trying to gauge reactions to see what it is. It's over to Jason for the next word, and and so that leaves us room for one more syllable in this line as we pivot to Harry. It's got to be jazz, baby. <laughs> 
Can we add a comma? Can we add commas to make this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you know One that I was going to go comma. with jazz? I knew you were going to go uh, with jazz. No, no, I didn't. No, comma thank you, after Cody, nights. for being for being. <laughs> yeah, no, we're doing more nights, comma, yeah, mojitos, yeah. and jazz. Cody, give me added access. No, I'm no. absolutely not doing that. Leave it, leave it unedited. Uh, no, uh, just mojitos the... and jazz shouldn't have a comma. Actually, I like the yes, idea of should. them being. Oxford, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm the, this is the poet here. Warm oh. nights, mojitos, uh, and jazz. Actually, yeah, I, I, I will agree with that. All right, for the, for the like poet. Poet. Uh, I think Warm poets nights, like Oxford commas sometimes. By the way, All Miami... Right. No, not a... Delete that comma. Miami <laughs> Listen, this doesn't make for, this, this doesn't make for good radio. <laughs> if you're commenting on things our listeners can't see. In the it's <laughs> What's the point? No yeah, comma okay, after Miami in the first line. That's stupid. <laughs> the best IQs are just listing things. I, we are Miami, going to sunsets, look, look, mojitos. I'm, we're not half assed. Okay? You might think I, I know, you're dealing I'll, with some I'll, sort I'll, of fucking English student, but you're dealing with the, the three greatest fucking poets. I know. That's that's why there's room for gentle ribbing. Uh, as I'm we head over to Jason for the next. No, you're not. Uh, I'll fix it. Um, so, Jason, you've got the next word. Uh, and I'm fixing Let's the really commas. bring it home, boys. This is going to be yeah, big. You, you have no idea. My word is magnanimous. Magnan. How the fuck do I? Magnanimous. Can I undo that word if it comes to me? <laughs> Can uh, I make my no, word? You really, you really ruined this haiku. <laughs> It, we were really cooking here. <laughs> and who's going we to really stick the landing? Here. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a word, Jason. Uh, it lies, lies in the hands of the podcast's only Greek. Jason, how are we capping this bad boy? Me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, there are worse directions you could have gone. Um, yeah. yeah, it's so, pretty good, actually. <laughs> uh, did I? D- okay, so just the one comma after nights was that the idea? Were there other commas we needed I'm to insert? Po- poetically, E.E. E. Cummings style, I'm comfortable with uh, with Aaron's suggestion. Just one comma after the word. Yeah, nights no, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yep. this sounds like a, a perfect time. I would love this yeah. haiku to describe my life. <laughs> yeah, uh, Harry, do you want to read line this really one? Annoys me, man. I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah, this actually, yeah, they really ruined it. Really really better, <laughs> yeah. better about just like, had to fuck it up. Befriend the RNG oh, a little bit more. Yeah. Well, actually, okay. Since so, since this was Jason's um, sticking or botching of the landing, I will hand this to Jason to read it in its entirety for our listeners. Jason, take it away. Theme: Miami. You don't have to read that Miami. part if you don't want to, but <laughs> file, edit, view, stop tools. <clears throat> Miami sunset. Warm nights, mojitos and jazz. Magnanimous me. Yep, <laughs> there we. It's a winner. It's a winner. Folks. It's cut print sell. <clears throat> Somebody get Harper Collins on the line. You've disrespected the the How about vibrant American South. You've disrespected the <laughs> Japanese. You've disrespected all of our listeners. How about you've disrespected how about we magnanimous give, me? We give Aaron the opportunity later on to come up with a better third line if he wants. Uh, how about, how about this? We use this as a, a launching pad to, to build and grow and nail the other two haikus. Cause we got two more in the can folks. So you can think of that as sort pitches. of a rough trip. Sorry. I That's added that on. exactly right. Cody. I, I wanted to make sure. Yeah. Hey, I'm glad that you did spring break bitches. Uh, this movie ran. So spring breakers could also run. How about that? How about that, folks? What's our next well, theme, Cody? Our next theme, as we can see in the doc, is dentures. Dentures, gentlemen. 
getting uh getting a little zany with these with these haikus. You still want them to be poetic, um, magnanimous even, or hopefully not, uh, as we land upon Harry for our first word of this dentures haiku. Harry, what do you think? Might be a little obvious, but we'll go with false. Oh. Hey, there's nothing obvious in poetry, probably, right? We're usurping uh, expectations. And next word goes to Aaron with a request to capitalize the D in dentures. Am I? Uh, I don't know why. Is is the we're not talking about a person named dentures? Also, so why this, okay, this motherfucker just said you're not dealing with English students over here? And then he's like, "Can we capitalize that? Can we use a colon instead of a, can we use commas? Um, please, professor, stop being an ass. <laughs> just go with I, it. Look, I'm I'm just if you're gonna do a thing, do it right, you know and you know, right. So I've capitalized no, the common noun dentures just as I've capitalized the word Miami. Um, uh, can, I get a, can I get a comma <laughs> after false? And then I'm going to go for the word interloper. False. Interloper. Dentures is a metaphor here. Now, now, now yes. here, here we, get, we got a <laughs> yeah. nice... We got a nice uh, you think this was literal teeth? No, no, no. This is the thematic understanding of, of the, the wolf. Yes. Uh, like Lady Gaga, okay. show me your teeth. As we head to back to Aaron to build off of this budding seed of an idea, Aaron. Well, I didn't really have anything to follow this up with. So I yeah, now we're it. letting him cook, folks. Got it. Interior. Interior. Four syllables, really. <laughs> We got to end this up. We got to wrap this up. <laughs> fair. That's fair. That's that's what you think as we head back to Harry, ping-ponging it back. Harry, how are you going to follow, follow up interior? Wavering. Mm. All right. I can I can dig this. So, dear listener, to get you caught up, the haiku so far. False interloper, interior wavering. Not my best line reading, but that's what we've got so far. Uh, interior wavering. Yeah, I can count. Uh, and on to the last line. First word is going to come from Aaron. Um, some Greek exclusion. <laughs> I really, in, I really wanted psycho. to do magnanimous. I'm not going to, but I thought it'd be a good <laughs> all end with magnanimous. <laughs> Magnanimity. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that is five. Oh, wow, five, five <laughs> syllables. Um, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, 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 replacement. A lot of SAT words in this uh, in this haiku today. Say la vie. We've got room for one more syllable. God damn and it! Back to Aaron again. Wow, the, the, we have room for two more syllables. Aaron, right? Wait, wait. Yeah, it's two more wait. syllables. Yeah, that's we, what I. Yeah, that's, that's what I said totally. <laughs> Replace Replace <laughs> uh, Chompers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Chompers. <laughs> yes! 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 <laughs> We're back, folks. We're back. Um, I'll hand this one off to Aaron to read off them because he made 95% of it. Aaron, would you do us the honor of reading our dentures themed haiku? For not to, but I guess I can. Uh, themes you dentures, got mm -hmm. false interloper, interior wavering, replacement chompers. 
There we go. <laughs> We are really cooking as we head into our third and final haiku of the week. Um, And I've got to capitalize this. Otherwise, the cops are going to get me or something. Uh, We should do machetes. I was going to say this better make its way back into the Cody's Notice rotation. Well, I don't know. What, hey, we might throw in some limericks. Who's to say if we cover like Banshees of Inishir or something? There once was a man from Miami. Um. I can't follow that up. Uh, Something about a granny. I don't have to. Ooh, there we go. We could pivot for this last one. No, we got to stick with haikus. The first word is going to come from Harry. Ooh, just on the line. But yeah, just eked out a a Harry. uh, Slicing. Interesting. I don't know why you would choose a verb of that nature for something like this, but it's in the dock. It's canon. Uh, and who will add to that canon? It's one, Jason. Jason, how are you going to follow that up? Our, as in uh, possessive of two people. Got it. Not our. Oh, you are. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you are. Oh, you would like us to continue? Well, sure. I guess we can. And throw it over to Jason for the next. What are you gonna word. do? You gonna do meat? You gonna Jason, do Jason? I got a recommendation. <laughs> Jason, I got a recommendation. I must hear the recommendation from Aaron at the very least. Fingies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you took chompers. I'm gonna submit fingies, yeah. and that is F I N G I. Trade for trade. Our pact has been sealed. The ancient, the the, the vow see. our ancestors made has been fulfilled. Ouch! God damn it! Is only four. Damn. Okay. Ouch! Fuck! God Ouch, damn God it! Ouch! God damn it! Bleed! 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 Ouch! Ouch fuck! God damn it's pretty good. Fucker, <laughs> God damn. Uh, well, hey, building off of this, Harry, you can uh, you have the opportunity to start the second line of this. So what are you going to go with? Oh. Oh. All right. I will leave it. I'll leave it open. Something tells me we may need a comma, depending on what it's chosen. Maybe not to not to insert anything. Oh, Jason, by a nose, by a hair, um, by a, by a little parry. Uh, my word is what? What? Uh, I'm gonna write it the normal way. I'm not gonna put an H before the the what. Um, do you think this warrants a comma after the O, or should we can wait I, and see? Can we? Yeah, wait and see. Can we, wait hey, and see. can we, can okay. we remove the H from O? And it just becomes oh, like, like no, no, don't not a fan of that. Hmm. We're not Walt Whitman out here. This isn't yeah. This isn't the fucking internet. This Wait, isn't we fucking aren't? Twitter, buddy. This isn't a fucking little stick figure comic. Fuck out of here with that shit. <laughs> oh yeah, what do you think this is? XKCD. Um, over to our next word. Oh, uh, group chat notifications blinding it, but we've got Harry for the next word. In See my poem, brother, Harry do something in a Twitter chat as the notification on Cody's phone. <laughs> Folks, it was bad. Yeah. Not Harry's word. That was the notification from Nick, but I'm, going I'm sure Harry's the... word would be good. The. Oh, what the. Fucking fuck, fuck. Uh, no, we'll, we'll see what goes with that. I like that. Some connecting words in here. As we head over to Jason. Jason, Harry Allied, are you going to oop? What word are you going with? Oh, what the blade. Nice. Uh, at this point, do we want to put a comma after O or do we still want to, do we should just wait till the end? I mean, it it can be, it can still be a good line. Just yes. And how do you fuck that up? (laughs) How do you fuck it up, man? There's (laughs) history of violence. (laughs) How do you fuck that up? (laughs) 
Um, Harry has an opportunity to to add to this um, in whatever capacity he would like. I'm thinking. I'm trying to think of new ways to hand these off. Harry, what what were you going with? Taketh. <laughs> oh, what the blade taketh. Hmm. I'm just gonna. I'm we gonna, have one more syllable then, right? Oh, what the we do have one more syllable in this line. Um, I will do some maintenance on this document because apparently somebody wants the words to be the same size. Uh, but we 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 got it on Jason for the last syllable Could of this off, line. Jason, uh, we'll say now. Now, oh, what the blade taketh now. Very good. Here is um, here is where we get back to it we we send this one home we're finding it yep magnanimous J- jason knife. is like a jason is like a madman like trying to take control of the wheel while we're driving my I'm web connects you to all rest control yeah he's trying to and harry comes up with the wheel as he gets the first word in the I will final say line soon yeah. soon soon four more syllables to cook with as we throw it over to Aaron, um, who will put... I'm hearing magnanimous. All right, let's uh, twist my arm. Uh, no, what are you going with? Uh, can I get a comma after soon? Comma after soon. And then All can right. I do hospital? <laughs> All right. <laughs> There's only... Like, I will stop this Zencaster call if we don't do this right. <laughs> Well, that's going to fall into the lap of, oh God, okay. of Aaron. Okay, okay. The okay. last Let's go. syllable. Can I, can I get a comma after hospital, please? Oh my God. All and right. Can I get now? Oh, no, no. That <laughs> yeah, rhymes. I was going to say was please, but it's gotta be now five, seven, five, five, it's it, it rhymes. It, that, that rhymes. That, that won't do, right? So, uh, sure. You can, I mean, you can do that. Kind of a, I think. Yeah, can you? It's like it rhymes with now with now. You know what I mean? Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Now, now. Oh God, I love that artist. Uh, who, you know who else is an artist? Uh, Harry, who I don't think has read one of these yet. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah, it was. It was Jason. Yeah. Yeah, so, if you want to take take the wheel, read off this uh, this last this sure last thing, haiku. Cody. Take it away. Uh, this is the theme machetes, and the uh, haiku goes: slicing our fingies. Oh, what the blade taketh now. Soon, hospital, now. <laughs> Thank you. These have been Miami haikus. Uh, I think the pop-off platform is shared by pretty much everybody. Well yeah. done, gentlemen. <laughs> Thank hey, you, everybody. Uh, yep. an early contender for Cody's noties of the year, I must say. I had a blast with this one. <laughs> this one taps into a few in, in, uh, interests. Uh, some Some poetry, some movies. Some copywriting. I'm so pissed with Magnanimous, dude. I'm still it's, so it, fucking pissed. That was so one. good. We were we were we were I, cooking with that honestly, one. Honestly, I wish I wish that you had said soon hospital time. <laughs> because soon hospital now I, doesn't or, make any sense because soon <laughs> and now are two different times. And the line rhymes <laughs> well, with the well, seven you, line, which you can't buy. Yeah. This is the this is the this is Soon Hospital Now. Uh, now or now or just the f word. I think both both those would have been good. Fuck. Or just shit. Soon <laughs> hospital shit. Or just like ah yeah. See Cody, this is what you've made. You've made a wonderful, uh, a wonderful new addition to the Cody's canon. Uh, Y'all literally made these, but go off. Cody. Hey, we wouldn't have had even the platform for doing it without you. Uh, so thank you uh, as always for ending our 
episodes on a fun, lighthearted note. Um, this movie needed it. It was It's a bit goofy, a bit dark. Uh, you can check it out. I think it's on Tubi is where I watched it. Too late to see it at the Trilon. Sorry, y'all. But the rest of the Noir Film Festival is playing at the Trilon and Heights uh, the rest of, I believe, this month. Check them all out at Trilon.org. And pick up your calendars while you're there um, and see what's coming for the rest of the year, including the Charlotte Rampling series that leads off the 2020, oops, sorry, spring 2024 calendar at the Trilon. Uh, go to Trilon.org for more information on that. Follow us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. Go anywhere you want to find our podcast. And if we're not there, let us know. We'll submit it. Uh, for me, uh, as, as for my part, I'm one of the people who helps make this podcast. My name is Jason Daphnis, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendofus. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Blue Sky at Cody Narvison and on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I've been Harry Mackin. You can find me sipping a mojito on a warm night in Miami and on Twitter at PunishTake. My name is Aaron and you can find me magnanimously or you can find me being magnanimous. I guess either of those things. Shit happens when you party naked. Thank you.